Hope you all can hear me. Yes, Pastor. Yes, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, before I joined the meeting, there was one Mukuldas already who had uh, logged in. I was not uh, sure. I asked him to introduce himself, uh, but he did not introduce himself. So I removed him from the group. She's Any my ID? friend, Pastor. She's Mukul? my friend. Oh, but uh, she has already joined. I asked her if you can just introduce uh, herself. Uh, she kept quiet and uh, we were not sure about who she was. She doesn't so, know English, but she can understand, but she can't talk in English. She knows uh, Hindi. I don't think she'll be able to log in now. Uh, you can tell her. Okay. Uh, but uh, apologies from my end because uh, we <laughs> need to be a little careful about the security instructions, no? Yes. Uh, I wish that if you had just mentioned it to me, at least I would have known the name because the name was Mukul Das. Mm -hmm. And I just asked, uh, can you please introduce yourself? And there was no response. Yeah, and she doesn't I, know English. Well. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, then the thing is, uh, since she was there, even before I could log in, uh -huh. uh, it's okay, but you can just mention it to yeah. her. And okay, Pastor. Yeah. Probably I'll, uh, I'll just try to add. Uh, I don't know whether I'll be able to do it right now. But uh, next time, we'll try to add. Okay. Hereafter, if any visitors are joining, if you can just uh, inform us so that uh, we are also aware. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, we look to you this evening. Uh, you are our God. There is strength. There is nourishment in the word of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, minister to us, O oh Lord, today as we study together, encourage us, comfort us, convict us, and minister to us. Uh, let your name be glorified in and through this session. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in Psalm uh, 9. Uh, I have put praise. Uh, because Psalm 10 will be almost, we can call it as a lament. So you can say praise and lament. Uh, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 are basically called as acrostic Psalms. Uh, when we call it as uh, acrostic Psalms, it's basically each verse uh, begins uh, with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beth, it starts like that. So each verse begins like that. Uh, since we are reading it in English, we'll not be able to uh, see that. Uh, since both Psalm 9 and 10, uh, they are acrostic. So the commentators generally believe that this is one Psalm, probably it has been split into two. Uh, we are not getting into those issues, uh, just for your information. So today we will see Psalm 9, uh, which has got 20 verses. Now the first two verses, I'll give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell all of all your wonderful deeds. 
I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. I will give thanks to you, Lord. You know, the psalmist, uh, he wants to praise God. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Uh, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. How nice it is. If we also start our prayer with the very intention of praising God, and this is not only an individual prayer, it is basically the public recounting of God's work. In other words, it's taking place in a, in a community setup, and God is being praised. And all I will be glad and rejoice in you. Just the experience of rejoicing. And exaltation, uh, that's what a feeling of extreme joy. I will be glad and rejoice in you. Uh, sometimes I think we have to force ourselves to rejoice in the presence of God. Uh, we have become very strict and serious people. Uh, maybe in our individual prayer, we should learn to be glad and rejoice in God. Uh, or maybe we are carried over by our own problems and struggles. We are unable to do it. Or maybe intentionally, if we try to do it once in a while, uh, this all will become a good habit. Uh, and he's saying, not that he got something from God, not that uh, he has received something from God. Basically, the praises is, I will sing the praises of your name. You know, the name of God is something uh, that was so precious to them. Uh, so it is all about God's name. Uh, we also sing, uh, there is no other name like Jesus. We sing, what a wonderful name. You know, we sing like that. But uh, if you realize and how the early people, the Israelites, for them, the name of God was something precious, holy, and the very name gave them the joy. And that's what's happening. And how he, how, how he is praising, uh, it's, it's good for us to learn. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. Uh, it is, it's the whole heart. Uh, you know, uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, we normally we restrict our very basic understanding to speaking in tongues, uh, but it is much more than that. Uh, when we are praising God in our spirit, it is, it is like our hearts are filled with God's love and our minds are filled with his truth and our bodies are filled with God's goodness. And our souls are filled with God's life. And, you know, when that's, that's known as praising God in the spirit, uh, that's the reason we need uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is not just uh, to utter a few words. Uh, our un that's why, as I said, that our misunderstanding, uh, the way we have restricted, uh, you know, it is, it is the spirit of God in us which enables us to praise God. On our own can we praise God? We may utter a few words and it'll, those will be the dry words. 
uh, our words with all our best intentions uh, they'll be dry but when we praise god uh, in the spirit uh, now as i said you know the hearts are filled with god's love and imagine what happens and our minds are filled with his truth knowing how great is our god and our bodies are filled with god's goodness and our very soul is filled with god's life and when all these components they come together and when we and they praise god so you can imagine the kind of praise and that's the kind of praise uh, god expects from us now i will give thanks to you lord with all my heart i will tell of all your wonderful deeds i'll be glad and rejoice in you i will sing the praises of your name o most high now we have discussed this question again i want to just uh, bring this question if the natural world is violent then on what basis it gives us hope uh, at least to this seg- we have accepted that the natural world is violent then on what basis it gives us hope i hope you remember the discussions we had you can unmute yourself and you can answer you can proceed further you oh. were <clears throat> Go ahead, no, that's okay. That's okay. You can go ahead. It has to do with the, the new world, you know, that uh, God is going to create all new earth and new, uh, okay. you know, there's going to be justice from God one day. So we okay. may suffer now, but finally there's going to be justice that's going to happen from God. Okay, justice. Okay. Yes, others? pastor the the vengeance belong to the law belongs to lord so we have that hope that there is going to be justice and there is going to be justice that's what it is okay justice will be there. Uh, uh i think the hope we have is in god and in who he is not in the world or anything that the world can offer us and uh, we know um how good god is and we know his promises so our hope is in god and not the world and what it can give yes thank you uh for a for a very long time or maybe even for we in our own understanding uh we have always considered nature as something beautiful uh peaceful uh balanced uh you know it is something it just uh we see all goodness in nature uh, that's the kind of understanding uh, we 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 i'm sure most of us have had that kind of understanding till probably uh, um, you know a writer by name annie willard uh, annie dillard uh, she's a writer and uh, she wrote a book called as pilgrim at 
Tinker Creek. And in that book, she ta started talking about nature. Nature is not, you know, calm, quiet. Uh, she says nature is bloody. It is quite brutal. And she, she actually went to the forest and she starts describing, you know, what all kinds uh, you know, of violence that is there in, in the natural world. You know, the predators, they, she says they come with new, new methods of, you know, in their, in their attempt to kill other animals and the kind of death, helpless, you know, animals being just killed. So she wrote a book, you know, The Pilgrim at, at Tinker Creek, Creek, Creek. And I think since then, uh, people who, you know, they, they, have, they have also associated this component in theology. Uh, nature is no longer, it is just calm, quiet. Uh, of course, we have all, I can also draw our attention to a tsunami. Uh, not a calm, quiet, how brutal, violent, and all. But she also wrote another book as, uh, I think it's Holy Firm or something like that. Uh, she is a believer, but she was writing to a larger audience as an author. And then she says, uh, God exists within this violence. In other words, it is God who gives meaning. Now, if we have only the natural world, then there is no hope. Uh, because God exists, uh, it gives us hope uh, despite the violence that we see in the natural world. Now, why did I say that? Now, the, the, the psalmist, the object of it praises all your wonderful deeds, your wonderful works you know, and the name of God. We already saw in Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. It is the name of God, you know, the revelation of God's name uh, that gives us that place even to rejoice, uh, to be joyful in the midst of what we see, hopeless world, Maybe it's a violent world, uh, but in the midst of all that, there is hope because of his name, because of the revelation of God. So uh, the psalmist is basically talking about God revealed himself in creation. Yes, he revealed himself in creation. Uh, just by looking at the nature, we can say that, you know, this world wouldn't have come on its own. We need to have a creator. And so God revealed himself in creation. But more importantly, God revealed himself to his people in redemption. So when they think of that historical experience, it is not just the nature, but what has happened in history. It always give them, uh, gives them a reason to praise God. And that's the kind of ba basis we need to have to praise God. It is not our situations, it's not our circumstances, but what God has done in the past. And then God, what has done God, you know, how God has redeemed us, uh, the experience of salvation. And those should form the basis for 
worshiping God. You know, the historical experience plus divine creation. Divine creation alone, it'll be difficult for us to praise God. But when you have this historical experience, personal experience, it'll become easier and our praises will also be more vocal. We'll be able to praise God from the bottom of our heart. And it is this kind of belief, you know, the psalmist, he's in the midst of a crisis. He's in the midst of a problem. His problem is not going to be resolved. He knows that. But it is this kind of basis which gives us gives him anticipation of God's deliverance. Because what you have done in the past, because what I have experienced, because I see the creation, because what you have done, as I go through the word of God, I have seen from time from Genesis onwards, how we have led your people, how we have brought them out. It is these historical experiences which gives him hope. Today, yes, Lord, right now I'm in a crisis. I'm in a difficult situation. But Lord, I know I can always anticipate your deliverance. That's what we see in this psalm. And then he goes on to verse three and four. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you for you have upheld my right and my cause sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You know, his enemies are there. They are chasing him, but he says they will stumble and they will perish before you. Why? Because my God is sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. He is looking at God as a judge. You know, uh, nowadays we have a, a theology which is very spreading very fast. You know, it's all about God's love, love, love. You do whatever you want. God will not send you to hell. There is no concept of hell. Uh, that's another subject as to how to understand heaven and hell. Is there a place? Is there a state? That's a different subject. But people come and say that this God is a loving God. The Old Testament God is not God. It is only Jesus who is actually showing us God. So there's a, there's a, you know, they call this as a pop theology. Now, this pop theology and all has come now, especially in the 21st century. But for the psalmist, what gives him his hope is, my God sits enthroned as the righteous judge. Because my God is the judge, the enemies will stumble and perish before you. Today, if you go to court, you're not sure whether you'll get justice or not. But because, but when God is seated on the throne, you're 100% sure that you will get justice because God judges righteously. That's why he says, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. Uh, you know, the, he knows, the psalmist knows that he has been attacked without any cause. Many of us face situations like this. Um, people accuse us. Uh, people blame us for no fault of us. Uh, so th this is even today we face situations like this. So the psalmist is saying, when you see God sitting enthroned as the righteous judge, what happens is the enemies will turn back, they stumble and perish before you. 
because god will always vindicate us that's what we heard in the beginning because god is a righteous judge he will always vindicate us we go to verses 5 and 6 you have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked you have blotted out their name forever and ever endless ruin has overtaken my enemies you have uprooted their cities even the memory of them has perished uh, you know he is talking about god's past acts he is not talking about uh, ukraine russia war uh, he is not talking about world war 1 world war 2 but he is talking about something that has happened in the history you have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked you have blotted out their name forever and ever uh, anything which comes to your mind anything that comes to your mind before the book of psalms is it egypt the israelites okay. how he okay we okay we just see there some references he says even the memory of them has perished in other words god you know we think nations are very powerful uh, they will remain forever and ever we think like that but in god's uh, economy these nations are nothing uh, so these nations he will just blot them out blot out their name forever and ever basically uh, the psalmist must be having the idea of the amalekites and uh, in exodus 17 14 we see that then the lord said to moses write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because i will completely blot out the name of amalek from under heaven now it is not only the enemy nations god is a righteous judge and uh, it is not only the enemy nations uh, you know god because he is righteous he even threatened israelites uh, because in deuteronomy 9:13 and 14 and the lord said to me i have seen these people and they are a stiff necked people indeed let me alone so that i may destroy them and blot off their name from under heaven god is a righteous judge uh, judgment will always begin from within the church even before it goes out and god is not someone who will show favoritism we people despite being trying to be impartial uh, trying to be just we will always fall short of god's standard god alone can judge us rightly because he is an upright judge and god will judge both the enemy nations as well as the israelites he alone can do it it is because he is so loving so he is also able to judge them god is love and it is pure love because god is so perfect he is able to judge uh, the people the cities will be destroyed and it they and blot out their name from under heaven you see blot out the name of amalek here it is blot out the name of israelites 
God is a God of uh, justice. And in the ancient uh, Near East, this remembrance was considered as something uh, special, sacrosanct. You know, they wanted to be remembered. So, and also their name, name, remembrance, all these matters. And it is not only in the ancient Near East, What's happening right now in India is that's what it's, they are trying to do. We want to reclaim the past glory. We need, our name should be remembered. Our glory should be remembered. That's what they are trying to do That uh, What's happening right now. Uh, and it's an ancient Near East culture. So in the ancient Near East, it was nothing different. And God says uh, for the Amalek, and the psalmist is using this, probably this incident and is praying that my enemies are pursuing me, Lord, but I know you are enthroned as my judge, so you will blot their name out. No one will even remember them. Today they are after me, but Lord, I have the confidence that no one will remember them uh, because you are, you are the Lord. And then he says in verse 7 and 8, the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. Uh, the Lord reigns forever. And why he reigns forever? He has established his throne for judgment. You know, the Bible clearly says there will be a judgment. Uh, we can discuss, we can say who all will be saved, we can, you know, to satisfy ourselves, we can say that the universal salvation, we can tell all kinds of things, but the but one thing is very clear, there'll be a judgment, because he is the righteous judge. Uh, if God is a judge, and if there is no judgment, you know, in the Bible, we'll not get to hear the name, he is the righteous judge. So there will be a judgment because, and the psalmist says, you know, he, he must have remembered the Amalek. Uh, he will blot out their name. No one will remember my enemies also. No one will remember because you reign forever and you have established his throne for judgment. <clears throat> and this is a verse. Uh, we might feel it is very uh, severe or we might think it's very harsh, but for people who are going through difficult situations, people who have been accused without any valid reasons, you know, it is this, this kind of verse which gives them strength, confidence, and hope. He has established his throne for judgment. If we are going through situations like this, it is knowing God as, as the judge, uh, you know, that gives us, gives him confidence. It gives him life. It gives him strength. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. No favoritism with God. No favoritism. Whether he's a pastor, bishop, uh, evangelist, or anointed, whatever we might say, when we stand before the uh, throne, God is not going to uh, judge us. No, God is not going to show any kind of favoritism. 
in fact, uh, if we see the Bible, in fact, if uh, I wish I could uh, talk about the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, and if you follow the life of Jesus carefully, you know, Jesus kept his religious leaders outside. And quite often it was people who were considered to be outside world, you know, the prostitute tax collectors, he called them inside. You know, that's the kind of world that you see. That's the way God dealt. Uh, that's the way Jesus dealt with the religious leaders and the people of the day. And so it should, that kind of a knowledge should humble us. And we should also be careful, uh, not just because I'm a pastor, I'm doing ministry, I'm special in God's eye. In fact, rather, uh, I'll be judged more severely because the Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, you read, it, uh, uh, it says, those who teach, they will be judged severely. And so I need to be more careful. Those who preach, those who pre uh, teach, they cannot afford to be casual. They cannot afford to speak what they feel like, or they cannot afford to speak what the audience wants to hear. They have to speak the word of God in truth uh, because they will be judged severely. So the Lord reigns forever and he has established his throne to execute judgment. <clears throat> and we can always be confident because he will judge the people with equity. There'll be no favoritism. You know, so he will judge. He will give us the right kind of judgment, a fair judgment. Uh, there won't be any unfairness. Uh, <clears throat> Psalmist, though he's struggling, he's in the midst of an affliction. He's not free. He's in pain. He's struggling. But what gives him hope and confidence is God is still on the throne. My situation, I'm in pain. I'm in struggle. I'm depressed, discouraged, all that's there. But Lord, because you are seated on the throne, I have this confidence. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. You are stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name, trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. You know, see the way he prays. Here he talked about, you know, God is a judge. He has established his throne for judgment. See the metaphor that he uses. From the judge, you know, right, just, just not only he said, God is a judge. And then now he says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. You know, you are a judge. You will judge the wicked people. You know, I don't have to fear you. I don't have to fear the judgment because I know you are a righteous God. You will vindicate me. My enemies have to fear you because they'll be crushed. No one, you will blot them out. Their name from this world, from the records. But I have that confidence because you're a good God. You're the righteous judge. And then he says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Oh Lord, you yourself, you are my refuge. You see, you are seated on the throne as a judge. And now he says, oh, Lord, you are my refuge. You know, refuge is basically a stronghold. A place with high fortification. When I come across this word refuge, 
I always remember Gwalior Fort uh, because I've done a couple of exercise in that place. I had been inside, I've seen that fort. So I understand how that fort has been constructed and all that. So I visualize that, you know, how strong uh, they have built that fort. So now the Lord is a refuge. Imagine you go and you run. Yes, I'm in the midst of pain, struggle. Uh, people are all, they are just pursuing me. They want to kill me. They want to just destroy me. But Lord, I'll come running to you because you are my refuge. I'm being oppressed. But Lord, you are the refuge. And you are a stronghold in times of trouble. You know, they may fire uh, bullets. They may fire artillery shells. Oh Lord, but you are the stronghold. Nothing, nothing. If something has to touch me, it has to touch you first. And then only it can touch me. That's the confidence the psalmist has. Those who know your name, trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. You know, it is not, you will not forsake. You have, the history shows, oh Lord, you have never forsaken those who seek you. You know, that's the kind of prayer the psalmist is making here. Though my situations, my situation is so miserable, though it appears as though you have forgotten me and you have just forsaken me and you have almost, you have handed me over to the enemies, but still I know, Lord, I trust in your name because I know you have never forsaken those who seek you. You see that is the emotions, how he prays, uh, how he pleads with God. Uh, and then he says, uh, sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Immediately sing the praises of the Lord. His situation has not changed. His circumstances have not changed. He has not received any word. But knowing God as a refuge, trusting in God's name, he says, sing the praises of the Lord who is enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. <clears throat> he says, my intention of praising God you know, because you are enthroned in Zion. You see, it's God. God is in heaven. And on what basis does he say God is enthroned in Zion? On what basis does he say God is enthroned in Zion? After all, God is seated in heaven. Anyone would like to answer? Is it because Zion is known as the heavenly kingdom or? Okay. Anyone else? Yes. Somewhere along the line. Anyone else? Because uh, God is enthroned on in our praises. Okay. But on what basis enthroned in Zion? 
the city of David. Okay. If you if you go back towards Mount Sinai and then come to Zion, on what basis they say that the Lord is enthroned in Zion? in Jerusalem where David built the temple? Uh, it is, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's all fine. But, but the specific thing is when Moses had an encounter uh, on Mount Sinai and then uh, God is telling him that then you have the tabernacle and then you have the Ark of the Covenant and what do you have in the Ark of the Covenant? Just simple box to uh, stone tablets and then you have two cherubims, and in between you have the mercy seat. That's the Ark of the Covenant, and God is supposed to meet with his people there. <coughs> and it is, it is that place, the Ark of the Covenant, where these two, two cherubims, they meet, and in between, they are not supposed to have anything in between that place, no image, nothing. And that's where the Shekinah glory appeared, heavenly glory, heavenly brilliance. Uh, it all appeared in that place. So he says, sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Just that Ark of the Covenant was in Zion, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, they knew God's presence was there. And uh, that's what he says, uh, the one enthroned in Zion. Uh, in Psalm 11, 4, we see the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord in his holy temple is basically that holy of holies, uh, the mercy seat. That's a place. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He's seated in heaven, but he's also here. God has promised to be present amongst his people. Uh, the, so sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. Uh, in fact, I think the old translation will say avenger of blood. Uh, what does this phrase remind you? Avenger of blood. Uh, let me say Genesis from the book of Genesis. For he who avenges blood remembers. Cain and Abel. Yeah, very early there. That's what uh, the psalmist is talking. For he who avenges blood uh, remembers. Uh, in Genesis 4.10, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see, the psalmist is basically praying the scriptures. The, the way God has revealed himself in the scriptures and he's using that to pray. Of course, he's talking about his present day circumstances, but it's more of what God has done and who God is. Uh, even in Genesis 9, 5, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I'll demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So he is not only is enthroned in Zion, but he is also the one, you know, if the enemies, they think that we, they can kill them and all that. There is, there is Lord who will avenge that. There's a Lord who will ask account from the enemies. People cannot just get away by killing another human being. Not, 
you know, whatever name they may have, uh, it, they just cannot escape. They have to pay a price. If blood is uh, spilled on the land, you know, that land will be taken to task. There's no doubt about it. We go to verses 13 and 14. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. You know, his situation has not changed because he's praying. It doesn't mean he's fine or is everything as he has got deliverance. See, Lord, how my enemies persecute me. You know, his situation is very critical. People are, you know, when people, it is not one. When the group of people, when sometimes, you know, one single person is being persecuted by, okay, let me put, put it this way. You know, the daughter-in-law being persecuted by the entire family members. It is a situation like that. See how my enemies persecute me. You know, there's not even one member in that family to support the daughter-in-law. Everybody has ganged up. It is that kind of situation. And Psalmist has not got deliverance, but he's praying to God, knowing that God will vindicate him. See how my enemies persecute me. They've all ganged up. And they are after me. They want to kill me. And he's crying out for mercy. Have mercy. I am almost, I've I've entered the gates of death. I'm about to die. They're about to kill me. These situations will just, you know, take my life out of me. So lift me up from the gates of death. So what will I, what I'll do? I'll, so that I'll declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion. Again, you are enthroned in Zion. So I want to come and praise you there. You know, it is important uh, for us to praise God in public for what God has done. Uh, it, is, it is good that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. I will rejoice because you alone can do that, O Lord. So it is an intentionally, intensely a personal prayer. My enemies persecute me. You know, he was praising God with his whole heart. And now again, his situation is like that. He's, you know, he's bringing out, you know, his, all his emotions, you know, because the situation is not easy to just face. So he's saying, see how my enemies persecute me. But then he's, he's not a hopeless person. He says, I know, Lord, you can deliver me and you will deliver me and I will declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion. So the nations, 15, 16, the nations have fallen into the pit. They have dug, their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. We have seen a very similar thing in the past. I have explained that. You know, he's using the uh, metaphor of pit, net. We have seen in the previous psalm, the nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. It is not even that 
know, God has to take a sword and kill a wicked person. Their own wickedness uh, kills them, destroys them. Uh, it is not, the nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. They, wicked people, they scheme. And their very scheming draws them into that pit. Uh, that's what happens to the wicked people. Uh, the disaster, he would, earlier he said, I am near the gates of death. Now he's telling, you know, the wicked people, they are almost nearing their disaster. Their end is just coming. They're going to face the end. And they will be no more. That's the way he's uh, praying. And he says the wicked go down to the realm of the dead. That's basically the Sheol. Uh, where they cannot remember God. Uh, we have talked about that Sheol. Uh, you know, they cannot remember God. It is, it is, it's a very miserable state. So the wicked go down to the realm of the dead. All the nations that forget God will go there. But God will never forget the needy. And hope, the hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they're only mortal. You know, nations, sometimes they think, oh my goodness, as though they there's no end of themselves. We get to here. It was happening at that time. It's happening today and it will continue to happen. Uh, people, when they have power, absolute power uh, corrupts absolutely. And you know the, the leaders of the nations, sometimes the kind of language they use, uh, they think they are God, um, but they don't realize that they are just mere mortals and they will also be judged god will judge them and then he ends them strike them with terror strike them with fear lord let the nations know they are only mortal uh, that's what happens it has happened in the history it has happened in the past it will happen now also it will happen in the future also and the psalmist has the hope that god will rescue him that's the way he pours out his soul, his heart, his mind, his, his emotions in prayer in the midst of the struggles that he's facing, in the midst of challenges that he's facing. So I just want to ask a few questions and we'll see how best we, we can understand the psalm better. Now, how has God proved to be your stronghold? How has God proved to be your stronghold? Can you explain this pattern? I mean, like, what do you, what type of a Your situation in the past, how God proved to you, you know, God was the stronghold. You know, the situation was so pressing, compelling. You know, it is like the psalmist who is facing the situation. 
And then the psalmist says, oh Lord, you're, you know, after he said, you're the righteous judge, he says, you are my refuge. You are my stronghold. And he says, you will not uh, forget the oppressed. Uh, he says, God will never forget the needy. Uh, the hope of the afflicted will never perish. So how in the past, God has proved to be a stronghold? Personally, right, Pastor? Yes, yes, personally. I, I remember when I was you, do, you, you don't have to give the, the specific, uh, minute yeah. details and all. Overall, yeah. how God, I don't want uh, personal yeah. details. So there was a, when I was working, uh, there was a personal accusation falsely written against me. And uh, I had to give an answer for that. And I was preparing to give an answer to a lawyer who was a friend. And um, before I could even give the answer, I was also praying that God would not give me vindication and justice. But um, uh, that's, uh, the, uh, the following few days, the man who wrote an accusation against me got into a very big mess in his, uh, you know, in his life. And his job was in, a, in, a, in, a, in Spain because of that. And in that uh, problem that he has caught up, he totally forgot about the letter that he wrote against me and everything went died, died down. You know, I was too small. I couldn't fight with my strength. I had to give an answer, but I feel that, you know, God took care. Yeah, thank you, Pastor. It's almost the psalmist, what he was going through. Uh, it's, it's, it's a similar situation. Uh, we go to the next question. What are the ways that you give praise to God? What are the ways that you give praise to God? Psalmist was praising God for the past deliverances, for his name, for the creation, for the wonderful deeds. He was praising God. So what are the ways that you give praise to God? I praise him for his faithfulness and uh, that he remembered me. Uh, you know, uh, through all the circumstances when I was alone and I had nobody uh, to help me, um, God remembered me and yeah. God brought me out of that. Thank you, Anita. It's basically, um, you know, for remembering, for God remembering and also for God's faithfulness. And even when, you know, when we think nobody's with us, there's always God who is watching over us. The third, do you sing to the Lord? If not, then what are the things that keep you from singing? Do you sing to the Lord? If not, then what are the things that keep you from singing? Uh, I, I don't know whether I'm, um, I'm wrong, uh, but I think of late, our singing has come down. I, at least I can talk from my life or whatever little I observe. Uh, the way we used to sing earlier, uh, you know, with the, with the kind of gadgets we have, nowadays we don't sing, we just listen to others singing. Okay. Somebody wants to answer that? Um, I think there are two uh, ways of singing. One is, you know, from your heart. You want to sing your own song of praise to God, you know, with your own tune. 
uh, you know, uh, that's one. And I think that's the extempore and it comes out from your heart and you sing. The other one is your, you take a song and you sing to the Lord an appropriate song, whatever, you know, like you, you know, either song, song of repentance or song of praise or song of, you know, um, asking for strength. Uh, but in this, uh, uh, as you said, uh, these days, Pastor, and also the, the, the theology in the songs are also very vague. No, there's no connection. For example, for example, you know, darling of heaven, crucified. You know, I'm not able to sing like that. You know, I always see him as a king of heaven. You know, he's not a darling of he's a king. Everybody trembles, the angels, everybody trembles. And, uh, you know, such, I mean, one example, you know, like that, so many theology, you know, it's very difficult for, for us to connect with some of the songs. So uh, we have to be very careful in what song we take and select and sing. You know, even in our personal times, I feel. Thank you, Pastor. Anyone else would like to answer? I do, because um, obviously it might not be uh, that I sing something original or something like that, but then I sing because that's my way to worship God. Uh, that's my way of connecting to God uh, before I even pray or do anything else. That So I, I do sing to the Lord. Yeah, good. Um, how many of you feel that over a period of time your singing has increased or has remained the same or decreased? Uh, how many of you say it has increased? Your life, in your life, how many of you say it has increased? I just... I'm just trying to see, you know, the kind of environment in which we are living. Uh, not to say that right, wrong, nothing like that. Just to see that, you know, the, we are having real-time challenges uh, in knowing God about our spirituality. So I'm just trying to find out. How many of you feel that you are singing as, you know, compared to the 20 years ago or 30 years ago, it has increased? How many of you will be able to say that? Uh, I would... Sorry. Okay. I would, I would, I would pastor. I yeah, would say your, that... yours has increased, Julie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, anyone else? It has increased. Mine has increased, pastor. Okay, Anita, it has increased. Okay. Okay, Arna Nagaraj has increased. Okay, three. Maybe uh, compared to 20 years ago, it was uh, increased, pastor. Hallelujah. So for well, nowadays, I have YouTube to sing along with because I can't sing alone. Okay, I go off tune. So okay, uh, I'm so I'm, YouTube. Yeah, I'm so glad that uh, you know. Actually, the singing has increased. Uh, my singing has decreased uh, because I know my dad. Uh, when we come from the Sunday service, uh, he will sit. After the coming to coming home, he will sit and he'll sing at least for one hour. He will sing. Uh, I remember those songs and I also used to sing. Uh, but now when I return from church, I'm so tired. By the time we return home, it's one o'clock, one thirty. <laughs> Straight I go to the table. So I, I feel that it's, in my case, it has reduced. But I would like to sing. Or the only way I can do that is again bring some discipline of uh, uh, observing the Sabbath, 
not not the way the Jewish people did it, but I think some kind of a discipline where it is good to just say that to give this time uh, for singing uh, because uh, God expects us to sing and we are caught up in a busy world unless we make this intentional we will not be able to do it. So what lesson did David learn about God's character? What lesson did David learn about God's character? That he is a judge. He is a judge. Okay. Then it's right. He's a judge, righteous judge. What else? That God is faithful. Faithfulness, where do we see that? Yeah, we can generally, God is always faithful. But in this particular psalm, uh, there are a few things he's talking about. Uh, God is a righteous judge. We saw that. What else? He's a refuge. Refuge, yes. He's a refuge. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. He is stronghold in times of trouble. Uh, Refuge Mm -hmm. and stronghold is parallelism. So it just amplifies the meaning is the same. You know, God is a refuge for the mm-hmm. oppressed. He will, he will not ignore. So that's what we learn from the psalm. What steps could you take to give your fears or concerns over to God? What steps could you take to give your fears or concerns over to God? We are all learning from each other. So... Mm-hmm. What steps could you take to give your fears or concerns over to God? Basically, uh, talk to him, tell him, uh, tell him my fears. Um, you know, when I'm alone, I can just talk to him and uh, uh, take out all my burdens and speak to him, listen to him. Just admitting that how weak we are and how strong our God is. Uh, God is always with the weak people. When we acknowledge we are weak, uh, God, even in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is always with the weak people, not with the strong, uh, theologically knowledgeable, rich people. No, God is always with the weak people. It's not that he uh, is not with the strong, knowledgeable people it is basically they don't have the humility they don't even realize that they need god so when we are weak uh, he is strong so we can always hand over our fears concerns to god okay that's the there's the last question uh, i want to ask all the agag church members what is one way that your church can contribute to your righteous cause or movement what is one way that your church can contribute to the righteous, to your righteous cause or movement? Pastor, I didn't hear the question properly. 
Somebody said something I couldn't hear. Can you please repeat it? Pastor, I couldn't I, I couldn't hear your question properly. What is one way that your church can contribute to your righteous cause or movement? Increasing prayer, Pastor. Uh, prayer we do, but pray. yeah, that is pray. always the, that is always there. Uh, prayer is always there, but uh, what can we do? You know, we are talking about concrete measures. Action. Action, yes. Making a commitment to share the gospel as much as you can. Uh, No, this question is about the righteous cause. Of course, gospel is always there. Uh, But uh, it is, it's how... You know, we we saw how God is a righteous judge and how can we partner? Uh, Maybe the, let me explain it because uh, the church, most of the church, we don't do this because we are only confined within the church. Uh, We speak, we do things, but it is important for us to step outside the church and uh, what's what by doing this what we are trying to do is we know our god is a righteous judge and there is so much of injustice in the world how can the church partner with maybe an ngo who is fighting for justice like that i hope you have heard about the international justice movement who work, who try to bring out the free the bonded laborers. So I'm just throwing open this question just to get ideas from you all. Is it clear now? Yes, sir. Yes, Pastor. Do you think the church should do all this or church should not do? Church should uh, not yes, do Pastor. Yes, Pastor. Church should stand against the, think church all the injustice do. that's happening. You know, we should raise yeah. our voice. Yeah, but uh, specific, specific suggestions. I'm just trying to get the suggestions from <laughs> everyone. Others can also contribute. How how a church can do things? Specific suggestions. Yeah, we can uh, you know hire even uh, you know some good lawyers to fight some injustice where some small some people are having yeah, problems. The, that is a good suggestion. That's something specific. Find a good lawyer um, who has that heart not to exploit the people, but who has that heart to take the common cause. Maybe the church can uh, support that lawyer. Yes, that's a good one. Anyone else? We can do it in different ways. Not That's not the only way. Uh, Somebody has said peace rally, but I'm not sure how the peace rally is going to bring justice uh, in this 
in this country that keep taking rally after rallies. Uh, but what I'm trying to, I don't see whether it's going to be uh, concrete. I'm, uh, I'm asking how, you know, something specific that a church can do in, the, in, the, in, in our situation. Yeah, I think these are, you can keep thinking and you can always share with us uh, because it's not good um, only we uh, remain as it. We, the church has to interact with the society outside and uh, God expects us to do that. And we, we, first we need to pray that God will give us a burden uh, because without that burden, because we have not even sensitized ourselves that these things are also required. Because we have always considered church as, um, you know, it is all about spiritual. Uh, so 